All right, boys, episode 24, about to go down. How's uh, how's your morning been so far? Yeah, mine has been awesome. Busy, man, but um, but very good. Just uh, onboarded a few new competitors for next year, which is awesome. Very exciting. Um, trained. And uh, I, went to a, I went to Good Life this morning just because it's hot in my gym, obviously, with the factory and stuff. But, <laughs> man, I my numbers, I don't know if Scotty saw my uh, data yet. It's probably a bit early for that, but. My, this is probably the best week of um, numbers in the gym I've ever had in terms of like a progression ever. That's crazy. Like, I don't know, man, everything just felt, I don't know whether it's just my willingness to push or I'm just so, I'm, I've got so much energy availability that it just feels right and I'm just in the right place for it. But everything just felt great today, man. Like, Maybe it's the weather, bro. It's how good, it, how, like it's so oh. good. It makes everyone in a really good mood. It's probably, probably a bit of both, man. Like, um, yeah, you know, we just have those sessions where you just walk in, and you're like, I fucking got, I'm like, I'm it. on here, I'm on. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, it was. Uh, how about you, Scotty? Of- how you been? How's how's your morning? Yeah, good, bro. Yeah, um, it was good. I similar to you, man, with the weather. Like, I love, you know, when I I leave the house at like quarter to six, and I'm in a t-shirt and shorts. It's light. <laughs> It's got that smell in the air. Yeah, I love it. Even first thing, like quarter past five, eating my breakfast, I have the window open. Just This time of year is so much better. We talk about this all the time. I think there's just something to be said for, you know, being a bodybuilder when the weather is better. And that's why I think all those people up in Queensland, like even when we were there for the Nationals, like remember we were training at Worlds on the Friday night, we walked out at 8.30 and we're just like, how good is this short t-shirt? You know, it just has that smell in the air. You just can't beat it. So I think there's definitely an element that, it, you know, motivation is a bit higher for most people. You know, more people are training in the gym because summer's coming up. Um, but yeah, similar to MG, just super busy, which is good. Uh, I can't believe it's, it's one o'clock already. Like the days just fly. But, um, but no, I love this time of year, man. It's so good. It's awesome. I'll, I'll, I've been going out for like two walks a day because I just want to get outside. I've had all my windows, all my blinds open, just letting the air in. It's absolutely awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's great. MT, you got some nice city views there in Essendon, don't you? I do. I'm looking at the city right now at my window. Yeah, the, 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 big, the big open glass windows. Yeah. Straight into the city. So clear blue sky is good from your house. Yeah, it looks pretty clear at the moment. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Yeah. I got a haircut this morning. I don't know about you boys, but. I did notice that. I was gonna, I was gonna say you're looking a little. Wait, that's sharp. Yeah, I, I, I find getting a haircut so relaxing. I don't know about you, but I don't talk to the barber. I close my eyes and go to sleep. Like yeah. I just say what I want, and I shut my eyes, and that's it. And then he kind of wakes me up at the end. I'd be too scared that I'd be like let out a little like, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like sitting in the chair, and obviously. Everyone that's watching on YouTube can see having a barber is not really a thing for me. My barber's myself in the shower every day. You know, I shave my head every day, every single day. Oh, do you? Really? Yeah. Wow. No, I find it so relaxing. It's the, like I love going to get my hair cut. It's the best. And MT would be MT is like the only guy who would be like, I find the dentist relaxing. Yeah, I like sit there. He sedates me. He starts yeah, like, beautiful. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. talk the whole time. It's just a beautiful thing. <laughs> like even when I got a, like got a couple of massages in Queensland, I fell asleep every single time. It's the best. That's just because you were fucking been dieting for four yeah, it's weeks. Been dieting so <laughs> Actually, talking about that, so um, you know, I haven't done an official Instagram post of you know my last comp and the photos and all that kind of stuff. So um. I started to gather some data, like how long I was prepping, you know, how much weight I lost, you know, just because I like to talk about facts and I don't like to talk about myself. So that's probably why I've delayed it so long. But I started gathering photos and um, the before and after of like when I started prep to like when I finished, I'm going to put them side by side with some of the good, some of the poses. It, when you really look back, you're like, wow, I can't believe how much weight I lost or how different I looked. Oh, yeah. And um, it's it's definitely exciting. So, anyways, you boys will probably see those photos. I'll post them probably tomorrow or the next day. Um, yeah, man. Oh, man, like it's good fun. It's motivating too. Twenty percent of your body shots. weight, actually, man. It's crazy. What was that, sorry? Twenty percent of your body weight. Yeah, I lost twenty kg. Well, was... yeah, it's a lot. It's a fair bit of weight, um, but it's motivating. And 
to see like stage photos and be like, yeah, fucking, I know what I need to do. Like, I know what I want to work on. I know, I know what I want to do. So it's definitely motivating sometimes to reflect and see some of the photos. Do you know what else is good to reflect, bro? When you're like deep in your off season and you go to put on your board shorts that you wore at the VIX and you can't get one leg in and you're like, how the fuck did I fit into these? Yeah. Um, I already know with my weight belt, I've had to like, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I feel like, yeah, that I need to just accept that my waist has gone up, and I need to, you know, change the notch on my belt here. And I just, I just ordered all new jocks from Bonds because my ass is getting so fat. <laughs> <laughs> have you, have you split a pair yet? <laughs> I haven't split a pair. Is that, is that, is that, that's the goal? That's what I know. Like, yeah, all right, you're peaking off, isn't it? Well, I've split shorts, but I have jocks. Yeah, it's even more It's even more awkward when it happens in your mid-set and it's like you pause at the top, it's normally with a squat and everyone looks and I'm like, there's not a lot that we can really say and then you just keep going with the set and well, it's like... Especially if you've got a bar on your back. Huh? Especially if you've got a bar on your back. Yeah. But it's like, just, just keep going. At the end of the day, it's just, sometimes that's just the cost of doing business. It's also a friendly uh, indicator that perhaps there's been a little bit of a little bit of glute and perhaps some quad growth. Yeah, remember when you said to me about the baby powder? Yeah, man, I don't start a day without you can't because otherwise, especially coming into summer, it's dangerous. Baby and powder? I, yeah, I can't. I can't yeah, you got to powder your thighs. I got to powder my thighs. Otherwise, your your legs are up, bro. <laughs> especially when you get deep in the off season. I'm on level one, so when I walk up. I remember being in my heaviest. It was only like 20 degrees. I remember like walking up the stairs, like a bit puffed. And then just thinking to myself, like, thank God for baby powder. Because if you don't, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it'll, so, it'll come. Well, I hadn't, I hadn't, need, I hadn't needed it um, ever, really, um, until pretty much two or three weeks ago, man. And now no more thigh gap. And the uh, things are getting a little tighter. That's so, so funny. All right. Man, well, man. MT the time will come when you start you get a little bit juicy and your quads get a bit bigger, especially on leg day, when you get a crazy quad pump and you gotta walk around. There's nothing worse than if you know, your your shorts start to get really tight and then you just feel like you can't move and then it, it rubs on your legs. It's not comfortable. Yeah, I think I, I watched a rich, uh, like a Rich Piano interview the other day from years and years ago before he passed. And he's like, I just stopped training legs. Because like, I'm not competing anymore, and I just have no interest in my thighs rubbing together. So just stop training legs. Well, yeah. so he's like, "Fuck that shit." <laughs> well, I'll have to keep you updated on when my thighs start to rub, and yeah. I got some baby powder. Amazing. We're solving oh. the problems of the world, yeah. Yeah, you, you know, you know, you make focus on leg development when that starts to take out. Yeah, it's a good problem to have, I, I guess. Um, all right, let's get stuck into some questions. So. The first one I got actually wasn't a question. It was um, that the competitor thanking us for answering their salt question uh, the previous uh, two podcasts ago when they were um, they did one peak week with salt. Yeah, they thought they had they thought oh, they they better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was really, really thankful for that. And um, she started to making sure that she's salting her food in her off-season and she's found it's been an absolute amazing result. So mm -hmm. I'm glad that we did help her and she, she told yeah. us that it's all working out. So that's good. Uh, okay, so first question was, and this will be interesting because I'm really keen to hear what you think. And actually, as Michael, as you're a promoter, this will be interesting. So uh, if an athlete was a natural competitor then decided to use enhancements to compete in a non-natural federation, then decided that natural federations was best suited to them, so they went back to being a natural athlete, would this be allowed um, if they used enhancements in previous preps? So I guess I want to tackle this two ways is ethically, would you want to coach someone that did that? And would you put them in a natural federation ethically as a coach? And then what's the actual rules of the federation when it comes to something like that? And maybe MG will start with you about, do you know what the rules are when it comes to that? Yeah. So I think the rule is seven years, man. Okay. So not having used enhancements, Within the past seven, it's could even be 10, seven to 10 years, something like that. There's probably friends that are five, but it's, it's some like it's written down as five to 10 across all different feds, right? Um, 
But the issue is, I suppose that's not even the issue, right? The issue is the first bit that you mentioned, which is the ethically side. It's like, mm-hmm. if I make, if I'm 20, right, and I gear for six years and I make six years worth of gains, and then I stop for 18 months, and then I compete at 28, am I still natural? And have I not benefited from six years of blasting? 100% you have. So it is still an unfair advantage. So I think the rule needs to be like, you know, unless it's an ex- unless there's like an age thing, like a like a you're coaching an older male who did some TRT or something. But I think as a general rule, it's just got to be like no and no to both. Like, yeah, I know there's some feds in the states that are lifetime natural. Yeah. Um. And I, I knew there was a seven or ten year rule, but I'm just not too sure if that was enforced by WADA Asada or that was enforced by the federations. That'd be, that'd, know... that'd be the Fed. That'd be the Fed. Yeah, because I yeah. So I'm, I honestly don't know the rule per se. Yeah. I not, normally go against my ethics, not yeah. against the rules. But yeah. you know. So then, like, so ethically, what about this question? All right. So, and I actually had this conversation with um with a, a, someone who's high up in another Fed the other day. You've got a 60-year-old guy who's doing TRT, right? Mm-hmm. And is taking, let's just say, 100 milligrams of test per week. Right. How do you, like, is that ethically okay versus the 25-year-old who's blasting 2,000 megs a week? And then ha, ha, how, do you, how do you keep it fair? Like, I think so, it's just okay. one to use. It's hard to bring ethics into it. I think it's just got to be a flat blanket rule. Okay, so... I think you've got to distinguish between male and female for a second, right? So, because there's a drastic difference there on the enhancement and the the change in the physique. So, you know, because I mostly coach females and most of those females are going to be a bikini athlete or let's say a non-figure, non-muscular, overly developed athlete or in a category where you need to be fully developed from a muscularity perspective, so if I just try to keep in the context of the people that I coach, generally if they've gone to a federation and they've used enhancements, they've probably most likely used something that's very subtle, right, to maybe retain muscle mass or maybe even grow a little bit of muscle mass, but they've probably most likely used things that are like are going to help with metabolism and fat loss, right? They're probably not going to be using a bodybuilding or mass-building supplement, most likely, right? So. Therefore, I'd have to see, firstly, what is the rule from the Federation's perspective. And then if they're within the rules, then I'd have to decide ethically whether I still think they have an advantage over their competition. And then that's when I have to make a decision. And if they were open and honest and they said, look, I I took no muscle-building enhanced supplements. I only used fat-burning supplements for enhancement, then that would then change it too. But that'd have to be up to them being honest with me. So if someone said, hey, I went to IPB Bikini and I only used Clen and some other fat loss supplements and I looked at their physique and I thought, okay, well, you're really nothing spectacular and nothing overly developed compared to a natural competitor, then I'd, that would more sit right with me compared to if I had someone that was on a low-grade steroid, and I can clearly see that the development they have is above and beyond a natural athlete would ever get to, then that's when I'd have a problem with it. Now, if it's a male, going to your example, if it's a male who's on TRT, so replacement therapy, by given, given to them by a doctor, I still wouldn't put them in a natural federation because they're not allowed to have those, substance, those substances in their system. And technically, from the Federation perspective, they need to be off it for seven to ten years. So I'm always going to fall back with, okay, is it within the rules? Okay, so it's now within the rules. Do I think they have still a competitive advantage? Because that's me. That's what would sit right with me as a coach, right? So they can be within the rules and argue, well, I mean, I'm within the rules, but, you know, they took so many steroids seven years ago that their development has maintained somewhat and they still have this ridiculous competitive advantage above everyone else, 
and I put them on stage and you could clearly see they have a massive competitive advantage, it just wouldn't sit right with me as a coach. For sure. No, I think, I, think, I, think I think you're spot on, man. And I think for us, it's like, we don't want to carry that risk either. No. Like, I'm, you know, it's not certainly not worth like years that we put into to have our names, you know, tainted as well. And just for everyone listening, it's probably not something that happens to us very often either. Right? So it's, um, it's definitely a rarity. But, yeah, I just think it, it would have to be a, a pretty much like a blanket no, man. Yeah. What do you think, Scotty? Because you predominantly coach males, so what do you think from that standpoint? Yeah, I, I agree. For me, it's it's kind of binary in the sense that I think if, as you said, it's it's male, female dependent, but if you cross over, I think it's one of those things where you made that choice when you do decide, like let's say if I'm going to do an IPB show, I'm like next year I just want to see how I would go if I was on cycle. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't like IFBB. So now I want to go back and I just want to compete in ICN. Well, too late because you made that choice. When you make that decision to start to go down that path, then you have to be willing to accept that if I do this, there's there's no going back. In my opinion, that's how, how I view it because I don't think it's right. Again, if you're talking about compounds that are there to just um, to help you get leaner, I don't see any point in, in doing that. Again, most of the time, guys in the IPB do that because they just, I think as naturals, we just die harder than, than what those guys do when they rely on pharmacology, um, or a lot of them do anyway. But it, it does happen that there's actually someone I competed against in 2020 who has competed in an untested federation, and I have seen photos of that person when they competed, and they look very, very different. To how they look now. So for me, I'm like, I don't think that's right. I think you should be competing within our scope because you were clearly enhanced and now you're not because you changed your mind. Mm. But that also wasn't policed either. And I'm pretty sure that was within a sub four, maybe even a five year window. So because sometimes, like, let's say if someone does an IFBB show and they're like, no, I just wasn't on cycle. Like, unless you drug tested them then and there, it's their word versus yours. 100%. Yeah. yeah but as a whole, I think if you decide to go down that path, you just have to be willing to accept that you're no longer natural and you need to stick to those federations. And there's nothing, like, in no way or form, shape or form am I, um, you know, dictating that you shouldn't do. Like, I have so much respect for the other side, but it's like there's nothing wrong with that. And they, they take things to the next level. And I admire the, the, I guess, the lengths that they can take things to. But it's also right when you play on that side of the fence, like stick in your paddock, so to speak, and we as naturals stick in ours. Like you don't see Matty, you know, getting his pro card and then in five years, no, nah, I think I want to go back to ICN. I'm just going to dominate the entire world of natural bodybuilding. So, yeah, I think most people probably have that, that same, I guess, outlook or belief. Yeah. Sorry, mate, if you're listening and you thought you were going to go back to ICN in five years, you're, you're out. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it definitely comes down to oh. ethics and, uh, and honesty. And, you know, if you can sleep at night, if, if, you, if you're going to come back to a natural federation and, and cheat other people out of, a, out of a winner replacing because you decided that you wanted to come back, but you're, you're still using compounds or you use compounds in the, in the recent past, then... If you can sleep at night, then that's up to you. Yeah, personally, I think if you're enhanced and you're competing in non in a non start again, if you're enhanced and you're competing in natural bodybuilding, you're a scumbag. You shouldn't be doing like hundred percent. And I, I actually think we should start naming and shaming when it happens because it does happen, and there are people that and because these days you can cycle on, cycle off, you could jump on and and get off with four weeks to go and depending what compounds you're using, if you're using TRT or growth, it's it's unlikely that that's going to flag if you do get drug tested because they're compounds that your body already produces and, and to what levels. Like tests can come down on its own. Granted, if you had you took my bloods or any of our bloods at the back end of the prep and our testosterone's in the toilet, if you've got someone who's, who's perhaps not, then obviously that would be an indicator, but they could just say, well, it's just the way 
that I am versus if someone has, you know, clenbuterol or D-bol or any of those other compounds that obviously just are red flags. But, um, yeah, it's just weak. It's just people that don't have the, the stones to just go all in and, and then see what you can do naturally. And they're probably competing for all the wrong reasons. They're, they're competing yeah. for placings, not competing for any other, you know, physical reason that they want to try to be their best they can be just to um, to get on stage and present their best physique. It's more about I'm going to try to beat everyone and do everything I possibly can to beat everyone. Mm-hmm. And um, nice. And we and we always preach that you want to be your absolute best, and if that's um, then results in the fact that you're also competitive and get an amazing placing or even win, then that's a cherry on top. Congratulations. But other than that, you should really be competing to compete against yourself and, and, and if, to be that t- type of journey in that kind of sport. Yeah. Let's go. What's next? Good one. Um, complete change of topic. Topic. Uh, thoughts on people who absolutely post every part of their health and fitness journey on social media versus those who don't. Does it make a difference in the way you view them as your client and their commitment? I'll, I'll just I'll say this. I'll just say like it just like I've got no issue with people posting everything or not. It just depends on what you're posting. If you're posting everything but you're putting out a shitload of positivity. I'm fucking all for it. I don't care if you're posting three, four times a day, tagging me and everything. Like if it's all positive and it's productive or it's um, it's it's providing people with good information or it's pumping up teammates or it's painting your journey in a good light or, or even if it's showing some of the harder sides to what you're doing but it's in a positive light, mm-hmm. you can go for glory. I think all of us would be – like it, I think we just hate seeing, um, you know, the negative sides or, or people who make mistakes – or unable to adhere and then use a social media platform to get acceptance from their peers. Love it. I totally agree. Yeah. You know, like um, some people prefer to be quieter. Some people don't want to tell the world everything that we're doing. And some people need that support and acknowledgement. Both are fine. Both are great. Just think about what you're putting out there and, and, and the message that you're spreading to others, because typically you put positivity out, you're going to attract a ton of positivity from not just people around you, but also people you don't know. And same goes with negative. You want to be negative, you're just going to get a ton of it back. So, And just from a business standpoint, because some of those people that do that are also PTs or want to be PTs. So think about the type of impression you're putting out there if you're being negative or you're not putting this health and fitness journey in a good light and then you're trying to justify your mediocre actions and looking for uh, reassurance and then you're also a PT or want to be a PT, just be really careful from a business perspective how you're presenting yourself online if you want to make this a business. Yeah. Um, also, too, is look for really, – really, be really, really careful for people that are, I want to say, faking it to their, to their making it or trying to justify their actions based on – what they're doing in their goals. So I'll give you an example, and I know this is going to happen, right? Comps are now ending. People are finishing. Their whole prep, their whole year they've been talking about, yeah, you've got to hustle, you've got to grind. This is what I live for. You know, health and fitness journey. Make sure you plan and prepare your food. You stay on point, all this happiness. And then now that their comp is finished, yeah, it's all about flexibility. It's all about lifestyle. You should be able to eat whatever the hell you want. Yeah, don't track anything anymore. Like, that's absolute fakeness, right? And it just shows that really they don't have any foundation and base of health and fitness. And that really scares me, especially if they have a lot of influence. So just be careful of those people and just see through the fakeness. And the and I call them more like a a fake competitor or a fake athlete, if you're a true competitor or true athlete, you have flexibility, you have a life, you have goals. And, and you have control, man. You do change whether you're on comp prep or whether you're on off-season, but there shouldn't be a drastic difference and you shouldn't be trying to justify your actions and look for um, reinforcement. And you should be really, really careful about the effect you may be having on other people that you're influencing. 
there should always be a base and foundation of being a fit and healthy individual. And that's what you should be preaching. If that's the type of person that you, you say you are. The next thing about that is, you know, do we think that clients that don't post anything health and fitness or are very, very quiet on social media, do we think they're not committed? I, I've got to tell you, I've had some clients that never, ever post anything health and fitness, fitness related and they're an absolute boss, absolute boss. And I'll tell you now, I had a client, 2019 Ashley, I think you might remember her, um, all female classic, nearly won the overall. No one knew she was coming. Absolute black horse. No one knew she was coming. She never posted anything about health and fitness on her social media, and she was grinding, and she nearly won the whole freaking show. So we see our clients not based on their social media. We see our clients based on their check-ins. Um, so that's that part. So we don't think that if you don't post anything, we don't think you're not committed because we look at not your social media, we look at what you're presenting behind the, behind the scenes in your check-ins. But one thing I do love about people that post absolutely everything is it allows us to, <laughs> to see everything and I take note. <laughs> so, you know, when they're posting them going out and doing things, I take note about what's on their plate what drinks in their hand, right? So I take note of those things because it's like, well, let's see if they talk about it in their check-in or not because I've seen it. So are you going to tell me about it or do I need to bring it up myself? So I think sometimes people love to share their life and from a coach, that's a good thing because we get to see everything. For sure. Everyone's going to go put us out of the close friend group now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get blocked from everything now. Uh, guys, have you noticed all three of us don't get to see any of our athlete stories anymore? What's going on? <laughs> um, anything to say on that matter, Scotty? No, I think when you're, at least if I'm scrolling, I don't really scroll on Instagram. I, as most people know, I'm not that big on social media. But I think if I was looking at someone's content, the biggest thing for me that I'm looking for is consistency. So let's say I see someone put something out and then you're like, oh, is this person someone that perhaps I would want to you know, engage with or perhaps are they putting out things or messages? Are their values aligning with mine? Is You can tell within like 10, 12 of their posts, like is the message consistent? Because like you're talking about, if it's one way when I'm in prep and then it's another way, then there's a bit of an outlier there. Whereas I think, you know, if you go on MG's Instagram account, it's very, very consistent in terms of the message, what he's putting out there, the information, um, and also just his outlook in terms of everything to do with life. Yours is the same. Um, mine, I would like to think is the same. Granted, I don't post as much because I'm just not huge on social media. Um, but I think you can tell a lot by that versus someone who's like up, down, around the corner. And that's where for me, you can sort of, you spoke about people that are perhaps not keeping it real or not being, you know, transparent. It's very easy to, to, to see straight through that. Yeah, it's man. interesting too. Like, I, I think you, maybe you do it to MG, but I like to get someone's social media when they make an inquiry because I'll look at it hundred percent. If they, if they, they want to start competing and be health and fit, um, and be uh, fit and healthy and I have a look and it's all about this them drinking, going out, eating a hell of a lot of food and there's nothing health and fitness related in any of their social media but like psh, unless you're here to make a massive life changing um, you know, situation I hope you don't think that you're going to start including all those things and being living that lifestyle while you're trying to compete because it's going to be drastically different so we yeah. look at those things too and yeah. I understand some people like to, it's like social media is a highlight reel and they like to show all the, let's say the good stuff or the fun stuff they do in their life. And they don't want to show the fact that they're lifting dumbbells five days a week. I, I get that, but um, there should be a level of consistency within their message and within what they put out for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like consistent posting when the message is good. Um, I'm a massive fan for like, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Like, um, Emily, who I coach, Swedish girl, who's just had the, two, the kids and he's obviously dropped a ton of weight. He's just consistently posting side by side, um, down 15 kilos. And I just get constant messages from other mums like, wow, she's amazing. So, so when it's like that, 
like I'm I'm a I'm an instant reposter reshare because the message is good and I get a ton of good feedback. Um, so it it does it does have a place. Consistency's got a place, but like Scotty said, Scotty now that the message has got to be consistent. Yeah. All right, let's uh, change topics. Got a couple of nutrition related ones, and they're they're open to interpretation. So let's just do the best we possibly can. Uh, what's the best macro split for every day? looking lean oh, that's, that's hard how you know, and how do you know when to change your macros when they're not working that's the answer to that one when you, i don't i, I want to say the one, magic split i want to know i want to be lean year round bro what's the magic split i just I'll i think just, rather than just looking at a magic split like let's look at macronutrient targets like rather than just saying it's 300 grams of carbohydrate are you working off say perhaps five grams of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight. And then in terms of protein, you want to be having, if you're a, a, a physique athlete, at least, you know, if you're looking at literature, we know that anywhere between 1.8, 2.4 grams per kilo of body weight is going to be good. But then there's also a time where perhaps like if you're deep in the off season, you know, it can be advantageous to be consuming perhaps even three grams per kilo of body weight because obviously um, protein has a, a greater induced thermic effect of food. So the cost of breaking down um, protein to be able to metabolize and oxidize it um, actually costs more energy than it does for fats than it does for carbohydrates. So there's like there's places for, for everything, but some generic targets, I think nice, beautiful, clean numbers, let's say two grams um, of protein per kilo of body weight. So if you're a 60 kilogram female, around about 120 grams of, of protein is going to be good. You know, if you're plus or minus five grams of that, it's not the end of the world, but we know protein is super important because we need to maintain a, a positive nitrogen balance. We need to be in a positive um, nitrogen, start again. We need to be in a positive protein balance in order for us to take on new tissue. Um, and obviously, if we are below that, so we break down or we oxidize more protein than what we consume, then obviously we're below that and we're looking at losing tissue. But for everything else, I think it's just dependent on what your total daily energy um, requirements are. So, for example, one day you might be training for two hours and then you've also got to walk the dogs and then you play basketball with your kids. And the next day you might be, it might be a rest day from training and you're in the office and you don't even do 2,000 steps. So it really is just individualized and it's, it's person dependent. And the only way to really know to get, I mean, we have all different formulas that we can use, but the best way to gauge what your intake should be is if you just give yourself, so let's say I'm going to consume 2,000 calories, this is my split, and I'm going to be 100% adherent, and I'm going to go about my week as I would, I'll weigh in fasted every single morning, and then I use the average data, and that's why we use scale weight you know, as one of our metrics of assessment for body composition change. And then just see what your body does. If your weight drops at the end of the week on that amount of food, okay, let's try and push in a little bit more. And then once you've been doing it for a little while, I think then you can start to periodize nutrition and you can have high days and low days and normal days. But for people that just get, they're just starting out, I personally find just giving them some baseline intakes to follow. Yeah, they might be consuming a little bit more on their rest days, but then if they're a newbie to training, that, that extra energy availability might um, go towards... Um, promoting repair and recovery, um, attenuating any sort of hunger issues that most people have when they first go down that path. So I think I'm probably going a bit off tangent, but two grams of protein, carbohydrate, you know, at least 50% of your, your total intake and then whatever's left, anywhere from 15 to 25% of fats, depending on the person. Females probably have a little bit more of a requirement to have more fats um, than, than what males do, but... If you're running off that sort of split, the biggest thing at the end of the day is what your energy intake is, so your total caloric intake. And as long as protein is is where it needs to be and you're getting enough carbohydrate to fuel your daily demands, because obviously carbohydrate is your body's preferred source um, of energy in terms of performing what we're doing. And then whatever's left over, you know, we need fats for brain function and for cell health and whatnot. But um, I think as long as protein is set, and you've got a good amount of carbohydrate, whatever is left is your um, is going to be your fats as long as it's around 20%. And then in terms of making adjustments, it depends on what your goals are. If you're wanting to gain muscle mass 
and we're doing those things by being consistent with our food and we weigh in every day and we get our average. And if our weight isn't slightly climbing, then we perhaps need to increase our food and eat a little bit more. Unless you are someone that's very overweight or obese, in which case, you know, you're probably more of a candidate for recomposition because if you are overweight or obese, you've got enough fat mass um, to support your energy demands, even if you are in a deficit. So that's probably one of the only times where you've got a really good opportunity. If you're overweight or obese, you can gain muscle and lose fat at the same time. Whereas someone like, say, any of us three or most people that we speak with or that we deal with, they're more likely they're either going to be in two phases, either um, they're trying to gain muscle or they're trying to lose fat. In which case, again, we make adjustments when and if we need to, but we don't do them on a day-by-day basis. We'll look at collective data over seven days or 10 days, and then obviously you make adjustments as you need to based on whatever your goals are. I think you nailed it, man. Like you gave recommendations on the split, how much for protein, how much for carbs, how much for fats. Uh, obviously, this person's saying, talking about keeping an everyday lean look, so you cover that too. Once you get to the look you want, it's about them maintaining it. So mm-hmm. making sure that you're checking all your data, you're checking all your weigh-ins, and, uh, and you maintain your energy in, energy out. And you should be able, to, be able to stay at that body composition. As long as you stay on track and you stay adherent, you're good to go. Absolutely. Uh, the next one was similar. Uh, is it true that you can, stay, uh, you can stay at your maintenance calories and gain muscle, a.k.a. maintaining? Does that mean gain taining? Main. No, it's gain. It's got to be gain. I think it's, it can't be main. It's got to be gain taining or you're not gaining. Gain taining. No muscle because you're gaining. Main, main gaining. Main gaining. Main gaining. I haven't come across that one yet. What What, what do you know? Is it gain taining? Basically gaining muscle whilst on maintenance calories. Yeah, so I'd probably, I would refer to that as that sounds like gain, gain-taining. So, for example, um, I'll use myself as an example because I've only got a couple of weeks less of my pre-prep phase and then I'm going to enter a gain-taining phase where okay. the goal <laughs> gaining phase, perhaps. Um, you learn something new every day. There you go. Um, so, typically my outlook on what a gain-taining phase would be is, or in this case, in terms of to to personalize it, how I'll be approaching it. So the goal will not be to go from, say, at the moment where my intake's uh, 32 to 3,400 calories to then go straight back to 5,000 calories where I was. There will be an element of metabolic adaptation that I will have probably um, succumbed to. But the whole point of this phase was to pull off a good portion of fat mass and then give myself about a four and a half to five kilo buffer to, to be able to slowly um, put on weight. So the rate of gain isn't going to be as aggressive as say someone like MG who's in the off season. We're looking at say 500 or say 600 grams a week. If we can get that, that's within our target range versus I'm probably looking at more like 250 gram to 300 gram increments because there's going to be about a, a four to four and a half month window between finishing this pre-prep phase and then starting a contest prep. So if I was gaining 500 to 600 grams a week for those 18 weeks, then I'd be eight, nine kilos and I heavier than I am now. And that kind of is counterproductive for what I've been doing the last few weeks to pull off the amount of fat mass that I have. Because the whole point is I'm trying to get within around about 12% of stage weight so that then from there I can gain a few more kilos and I'll start prep in a really good position where I've only got to lose maybe 12 to 14 kilos instead of having to lose 20 kilos. And so gain-taining, and again, how you would identify what are your gain-taining numbers, gain-taining would be what is the amount of energy intake that you need to be able to sit within that specific rate of gain target. So if I'm consuming, let's say first week out, I reckon I'll probably go up to like around about 38, 3,900 calories and see where I sit. And if my weight jumps up a kilo, which it probably will, I'm not going to be like, fuck, that was way too high, way too quick. Because some of that will be food volume. Some will be water because obviously you're looking at maybe an extra 150 grams of carbohydrate. So straight away, there's 600 grams in, in water that I have to account for. 
So there's all these different pieces that you need to look at. But essentially, gain taining is you're still mildly in a surplus, but it's not. The goal is to not just gain aggressive amounts um, of weight like you would in an improvement season. So you're slowly and gradually bringing food up whilst pretty much going close to maintaining composition. Again, within a certain amount of time. But if you're talking about just maintaining weight, then you're not gain-taining because if you're gaining, mm. you're then gaining. Then the gaining implies that there is an increase of, of something, a slight increase of weight, a slight increase of muscle tissue. But the magnitude of that is going to be obviously really, really important and something that you need to keep an eye on. The only time that you could maintain, so if you're, like I spoke about, and that's essentially recomposition where you're maintaining your condition but you're not gaining fat whilst obviously still trying to gain muscle. And the only way you can do that, and this is why obese or overweight people have the ability to do that because they might be eating 1,200 calories, right, if they're in an aggressive deficit. But let's say this person's over 100 kilos in weight. Let's say that it's a, say it's a female, they're 100 kilos. They've obviously got a lot of adipose tissue. So even though they might be only eating 1,200 calories, their body still is able to oxidize fat to be able to fuel whatever their energy demands are. Versus if you had Shona, let's say her for an example, who's on 1,200 calories and who's just come out of prep, she doesn't have much fat mass on her. So her energy intake is obviously really important to what she's able to do throughout the day. Versus if it's someone, say Stephanie, whoever's 100 kilos, let's call her Stephanie, and Stephanie has lots of fat mass at her body's disposal to oxidize lipid to fuel her energy demand, then she can get by on that 1,200 calories because she's got enough total fat mass to warrant being able to stay on those intakes. But then as she gets leaner and as she loses that, then that will obviously change. And this is why when we speak about in contest prep, as we get leaner, the magnitude of our deficit needs to change because the less fat mass we have, it means the less total fat mass we can liberate to fuel our energy demands. So can we say that gain-taining, you're maintaining your body fat, that's what you're trying to do? Yeah, with, with, within reason. Within reason. So you're trying to maintain body fat, gain muscle, but not necessarily, you're not maintaining your body weight, right? If, because you've got to be gaining something, right? So if you're gain-taining, then you're trying to maintain body fat, body fat yeah, but gain muscle, which means your weight will go up slowly over time. Whereas body recomposition is gaining muscle, losing Lose. fat, and potentially maintaining body weight or depends on the ratio, it may go up, it may go down. And while slowly bringing in, in a lot of cases, perhaps bringing food up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So now we know what maintaining is, gain-taining is, tain-maining is. We know all the acronyms. We know all the words. And the mm -hmm. other thing as well is like that Stephanie example, just know Stephanie's still hungry. Right, she doesn't. She doesn't lose like yeah. her hunger signaling. Yeah. not all this adipose tissue, right? You might not feel the energy depletion or a lot of the down regulation that you feel when you go through a long diet, where you just, you know, you're you're, you're heavy and you just can't be bothered moving and you're blinking less. And she might not feel all of that, but she'll definitely feel hungry. Yeah, of course, she's in she's in a deficit. Yeah. So, yeah, she's definitely going to feel hungry. Just because you're using your stored body fat as energy doesn't mean that you're yeah, not going to hungry. Yeah. Yeah. You're still going to feel what the diet feels. Yeah. yeah, but again, hunger and satiety levels and signaling, there's a strong correlation between that and the amount of lipid that you have. So obviously yes. leptin, which is secreted through adipose tissue. So someone that has more body fat, and that's typically why as we get deeper in the off-season, you know, the heavier that you get, the more fat mass you have, the less desire that you have to eat, which is why when we come out of prep, we also need to get some of that fat mass on because 
obviously leptin levels are quite a lot lower, whereas obviously as we start to gain some of that body fat, it helps to attenuate that. But I will say that if you are in a gain-taining phase, like I'm not naive enough to think that I'm going to pull down to 90 kilos and then I'm only, or 91 kilos, whatever it is, and I'm only going to gain four kilos up until when I start my contest prep. I'm going to start at 94 and only have to lose 10 kilos or whatever it is. And then thinking that my body composition is going to be exactly the same at 91 as what it is at 94, 95, because it won't be exactly the same. But there won't be as much of a difference. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, those four kilos won't be like astronomical. So it might be like you've got veins um, through your VMO at 91 kilos, but at 94, I've still got abs, but I don't have veins in my legs anymore. Yeah. And I just want to try to understand maybe the reason why this person is asking this question. And I just want to say this. I think that, okay, well, gain-taining is the magic bullet. I can shred down, get lean, be happy with how I look, and I'll just gain-tain for the rest of the year and keep my body fat um, at bay, still gain muscle and not really increase my body weight too much, and I'll be gain-taining for the rest of my life and be happy days. If That's okay, but if you want to be a competitor and if you need to improve your physique uh, season upon season, gain-taining in the off-season is not the approach you want to take. Right? Not, optimal. Yeah. not optimal. Yeah, not and, optimal. I, and, and MT, you will vouch for this. I gain-tained for far too many years. Yeah. I was so scared, wasn't I? I, you I, to keep your abs. I wanted yeah. to keep my abs. How much time did I waste? Too waste much. Too much so, like, take it from me. Anyone who's listening, take it from me. There's better ways, man. Like you just sometimes, like we talk about it all the time. You know what? If you want to, if you want to be better, sometimes you just got to get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And and part of that is is you know through growth and through doing something that you've never done before. And I wasted years gain training because I was too scared to lose my abs. So if that's you, you're too scared to lose your abs. Shake it off, man. There's a better way. Yeah, so that's coming off the back of these last two questions about what's the macro split to stay lean and um, gain-taining. If these two people that have asked this question are competitors, athletes, and want to improve every single season, don't be using these two approaches. That's it, bang. If you're just a lifestyle person and you're happy with your amount of muscle mass you have and you want to stay in a great condition or in a decent condition, and aren't looking to compete or aren't looking to transform the amount of muscle mass they have in a short period of time or, you know, year upon year, then gain-taining and lean macro-magical splits are for you. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to some training stuff. And, Scotty, I think you're going to do a bit more talking. <laughs> um, powerlifting and bodybuilding, are they completely different? Should they be kept separate? What do you think about female competitors doing powerlifting comps in the off-season? Because I know you have some powerlifting competitors. I do. Um, I think they can work pretty nicely hand-in-hand. I think, firstly, I think you have to decide which hat do you want to wear when you're going to pursue either of those endeavours because they're just chalk and cheese. I think they can both complement each other. For example... Any bodybuilders I have that cross over to powerlifting, straight away it's like if if someone's working with them in a powerlifting front, they're like bodybuilders are the best to work with because we know how to work hard. You know, our volume allotment compared to a powerlifter, you know, and Zach's a perfect example. When he's in his in a, a powerlifting form and he has to come in here and he's got like six sets of two reps for squats, granted it's psycho amount of weight versus someone else who's doing sets of 12 to 15 on a belt squat or, or hack squat, doing all this volume, and he does two reps and he has eight minutes rest and then he goes again, it's very, very, very different. But I think they can definitely complement each other. But I think if your goal is to improve as a bodybuilder, if you're training like a powerlifter in the improvement season, then it isn't going to be as optimal. I think if you employ a power builder type program, so if you perhaps have, you know, let's say that if you're a power lifter, you're typically enjoying squat, bench, deadlift. I think you can incorporate those movements um, into your off season and you might have a couple of blocks where you decide that, okay, we're going to bring volume way down lower. We're going to focus on strength or perhaps it's power. So some speed stuff so that you can get stronger at those compound movements 
and then after 10 to 12 weeks cross over and then start training like a bodybuilder again but instead of doing working between two to five reps as a power lifter let's go back to training between six to 12 and see what can you do with a, a barbell deadlift or what can you uh, i think that there's much better movements than a, a bench press or there's different um different pieces that can be more advantageous but especially for the deadlift and the squat absolutely they're really good movements and there will definitely be some some carryover if you can squat triples um if you're a female and you're squatting close to three plates um for two or three reps and then you're going to go back to being a bodybuilder you're not just going to go from three reps to all of a sudden training 15 to 20 because you'll likely get some tendinopathy issues because you're going from one end of the spectrum to the other you might then have a block where you're working from six to ten what you'll be able to do on the hack squat or on a belt squat or, or whatever it is that you're doing for your squat variation well, 100%, um, it, it'll be better, it'll be stronger, which will then give you the ability to perform more repetitions at a higher load. You're exposing your body to a greater stimulus so you can break down tissue, rebuild, remodel, and thus get bigger and improve. But I don't think that you can wear both hats at the same time. It's kind of like jack of all trades, master of nothing. Yeah. If, you're, if you really want to level up as a bodybuilder, is doing powerlifting in the off-season going to make you a better bodybuilder? No. Is spending some time or incorporating some powerlifting fundamentals in a phasic approach within your, your bodybuilding endeavors, can that be advantageous? Absolutely. And it can go the other way too. So, again, I'll use Zach as an example. He About a year ago, he ruptured his bicep. So, had surgery, um, did all of his rehab, and then basically... We spent from about February to probably July purely focusing on hyper. So we spent a hypertrophy, so a hyper block, where the goal was to gradually, he had suffered a lot of atrophy, gradually rebuild him, but to also spending some time rebuilding and, and basically accruing more contractile tissue. And then when he crossed over back to focusing on powerlifting, again, the more contractile tissue that you have, then obviously as you train that tissue to be stronger, to be more explosive, essentially, you theoretically, you should be able to move more load. Um, and we saw that, you know, he's number three in the world now in the 125 class um, uh, only on the weekend. And before that, what he looks like when he competed at 122 kilos, I had seen Zach at his heaviest before he went down this route at about 117, 118, and he was just fat Yeah. versus... He was so much bigger at 122 and wasn't as fat. And that was because we were able to spend five months of literally, he was training like a bodybuilder and then made the transition across to powerlifting. Yeah. And so you, you, you can go hand in hand. And I think powerlifting probably, bodybuilding probably promotes powerlifting a little bit more, mainly because it teaches you how to train harder. Um, and again, you know, a powerlifting type setup slash periodization it's going to be a lot easier from a volume perspective, but you're moving a lot more heavier weight. So that's challenging. But yeah, they can definitely assist each other. But if you're wanting to do both, like if you're like, I'm a bikini girl and I'm going to try powerlifting, but I want to step up and do fitness, then I would say you're probably wasting your time in the improvement season because it's not going to make you a better bikini athlete. It might make you stronger short term, but it's not going to make your physique look any better. Yeah, I think trying to sit in the middle of the two is... A waste of time if you're a true bodybuilder the only reason why i think that you'd want to do powerlifting is if it's for motivation and it's a and it's a mini goal that you want to do in the off season to keep you motivated and keep you keep you going so if someone said to me michael i'm sick of like bodybuilding training can i just do some powerlifting and then i promise i'll train for like a year and a half as a bodybuilder and absolutely just smash it. i'll be like yeah let's do that because if me just changing your goal and to then stimulate, um, you know, for you to be more adherent in your bodybuilding training and being more goal orientated to that and be more excited about that. And you want to switch your goal for a short period of time. It's, it's anything. Someone said, I want to do a CrossFit event or I want to do a triathlon or I want to do something else that will just give me a little mini break from bodybuilding. And then I promise I'll then spend even more time doing bodybuilding and be even more motivated to do bodybuilding, I'll be like, yeah, let's do that. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that's the reason why 
um, people want to try to do a bit of both because they love training, they love doing stuff, being active, but they feel they need a slight change just to then re-energize their motivation back into the sport they really want to do. So some, I find that too. Sometimes I have people in off-season that want to do a triathlon or want to do more yoga classes or want to do some CrossFit or whatever. I'm like, oh, cool. If that's going to motivate you to keep training and keep active and then once you do that little bit and you get, your, you get it out of your system and then you're going to be even more motivated to do bodybuilding, then let's, let's freaking do it. And I have people that are doing that in their off-season. What do you think, MG? Yeah, I think, like, if I look at some of my most successful, and I'll just say successful as in, like, placings, clients have had powerlifting backgrounds, but never at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like, that was a pass that they did really well in and then completely switched over to bodybuilding and trained as a bodybuilder to get the bodybuilding results. So you can definitely be successful, but, yeah, there's no place in the middle. I, I, I can see that too, and I don't want to say it's powerlifting that made them successful. I want to say the fact that they were doing, they were committed to something beforehand yeah. that was health and fitness related normally helps you when you go into bodybuilding. Like I've had people that have um, done a lot of hit training or done a lot of CrossFit in the past or been a swimmer or been a runner or been something, played a lot of soccer, played a, they were an athlete before they did bodybuilding. It helps them so much. Not yeah. only from like an adherence, motivation, can stick to a plan, um, can be consistent, but also I find metabolically it kind of helps them a bit too. Um, if you're being fit and active your whole life, you, your body just operates a little bit differently compared to if you were just a sedentary person your whole life. Yeah, and there's nothing funner as a coach than starting with a previous powerlifting client and walking them through their first program, and they're like, <laughs> I fucking do all this volume. <laughs> you want me to do 22 sets? <laughs> uh. Um. Next one. So it's about DOMS. So they've started a new program. Um, it's actually post-comp and they've got some intense DOMS. Do you recommend training through your DOMS or uh, taking a bit of a break, maybe even lowering the weight? Yeah. Well, I, I would say that like anytime that you start something new and there's that new novelty stimulus around, DOMS are typically to be expected. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, we find like we have a lot of people who are chasing DOMS. Um, but just always remember that DOMs aren't directly correlated with growth specifically. So DOMs are more correlated with, you know, something new or, or, or a new novelty. So I would just say the answer depends on how bad the DOMs are, right? Mm -hmm. Are they stopping you from being efficient and performing? You know, for example, you did quads, you did squats yesterday, your DOMs are crazy and you're supposed to do leg extensions today and they're just not going to be good, efficient leg extensions. Well, Maybe not. But if it's just, you know, your typical DOM pain that's there, um, like you th think most of us have programs where we do, you know, let's say one leg day and then a combination of legs on at least two other days. So, you know, the muscle can be hit multiple times per week. So I just think that it depends on the, the degree of DOM pain that there is. And if, it, if you can push through, um, in most cases, I'd say it's totally fine to push through. But if it's debilitating, just, just leave it out. <laughs> So what do you recommend they do if they've got intense DOMS, it's affecting their performance? Would you recommend, okay, so maybe back the weight off for a week, don't go to failure, that kind of stuff? No, I, I would typically just say, like, if it's that bad, just leave the exercise out um, because eventually, you know, that adaptation is going to happen and those DOMS are going to start to dissipate, right? So, you know, what you're feeling on week one of a new program is not going to be the same DOMS you're going to be feeling on on week three typically. So... You know, I, I think this for the sake of three or four sets, you know, that's not going to be change, you know, not going to change the end result over a year of growth. Um, again, and it's so person specific, right? Depending on, and, and you guys would agree with this, right? Do you have some clients who like will say that their DOMs are like crazy bad, and others who were doing a similar day and are in a similar situation, both reversed out of the same show and have similar reverse programs um, and have similar training intensities? They're, you know, they're, they're, Perceived exertion or perceived DOM rate can be completely different. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, it's about you know assessing each person as an individual and making a call on it based on that. But I think in most cases, you know, you can train through. What do you think, Scotty? I think as well, you perhaps need to have a look. If this is an ongoing issue, you need to have a look at your recovery <clears throat> protocols as well. So the first thing I'll be doing 
is what's your sleep like? How long are you sleeping for? Sleep's out. You know, we all want to stick supplements down our throat, but <laughs> the easiest and most efficient tool that we have at our disposal is being able to sleep. So how long are you sleeping for? What's your workout? What's your post-workout nutrition like? Are you hitting your protein intake, etc.? If all of those things are in a line, then I would look at the total volume allotment. As you guys know, I, I track um, mesocycle volume allotment, like how many sets are we looking at? And then if this is a reoccurring thing, week one, week two, week three, then you need to look at your periodization because the most the best program is the one that allows you to create progressive overstimulus and to recover from that stimulus and then expose yourself to a similar stimulus again within 48 to 72 hours. So you can just rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And if you can't do that, like if you're always sore, then that tissue hasn't recovered. It hasn't repaired, hasn't remodeled. So then why would you go in again and break it down? Mm-hmm. Because you haven't filled that glass back up again. You're just tipping out a, a half empty glass of water. So you need to fill that back up. So if you're not able to recover from the volume allotment that you prescribe, then perhaps you need to titrate that volume to a level that allows you, maybe you're doing 18 sets of quads a week. I know for me personally, like if I'm doing um, quads hamstrings, around about 14 to 16 sets is where my threshold is. Anything more than that, and I'll typically, I won't be able to recover enough. Again, bearing in mind that within that, you're probably going to have four to six of those sets that will be taken to very, very close proximity of failure. That's more than enough. You don't need to be doing 24, 25, and that happens quite a lot with a lot of younger people thinking that you've got to thrash your body. At the end of the day, we want to be able to get as much as we can out of doing the most minimal amount. Because if you can get a result from doing 10, 12 sets, that's awesome. If you're having to rely on doing, again, bearing in mind the human body is designed to acclimate to the, the stimulus that it's exposed to and to adapt. So if, it, if you're required to do 26, 28, 30, you're making life so much harder than it needs to be. It's like that saying we have, you can walk to Texas or you could catch a plane that's a lot faster. Mm-hmm. So you need to look at those variables and again, if you can't recover off that amount of sets, then pull out three sets, see how you go. I felt really good doing 15 sets. Okay, let's see where 16 is. And then bang, maybe you know where your threshold is. And then eliminate any junk volume. We know there's a lot of junk volume going around in bodybuilding. <laughs> there is a ton of junk volume. There's yeah. a lot of junk going around. There's a lot of junk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, boys, that was awesome. We had some really different topics and we swapped and we changed a little bit and uh, I really, really enjoyed it. We had some really good questions. So uh, another awesome podcast podcast done and dusted and um, looking forward to the next one. Looking forward to uh, some more questions coming in for sure. And I think we got like a lot on people want to just know a bit more about us and like our backgrounds and where we got to where we're at. I think I saw a few of those questions. So that's coming guys. Yep. I know you all want to know what MT does in his spare time. That's really what it's all about. No, it's just about yeah, maybe I'm thinking about maybe just letting people know a little bit more about me, but I, I don't know. We'll see how we go. Might, I might do it for a little bit more. Why don't you do a day in the life, bro? Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be that exciting, but maybe people will, just, maybe people will be interested. I don't know. We'll do you see. know what, man? Sometimes people love that. I know if on our social, la, was it? no, I think it might have been this year, both – the, the most engagement we've ever had, I and I announced that I was going to do it about three or four days in advance. I just did a day in what I eat, video to put it up there. Um, and I got Zach to do the same thing. And we probably 3x the amount of like views and whatnot that we were getting people just engaging on what it is. So I think sometimes people just like to know perhaps like what goes on. And we, we all put a lot about our athletes, but probably not as much individually. And that probably is more because of who we are as people. But I think, yeah, looking in, I mean, there's always an element of curiosity. Like imagine, who's, who's, your, favorite body, who's, who's your favorite bodybuilder, for example? Your favorite IFBB guy? Me? Um, I like Bumstead, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Let's say it's Chris Bumstead. Would you not be intrigued to be like, raw someone's there calvin who does all of his um youtube stuff to literally wake up what he does how he engages with his partner courtney what he does like what he's like when he's the camera's not on his face he's talking about this 
and he's just, you know, chatting shop, we're talking shit with whatever, having a laugh, people would definitely be intrigued to see, like, what is that like? Like, what, what does he do on a day-to-day basis? How long does he work for? What, you know, what's his lifestyle like? 100%. What does his house look like? That's what people want to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 100%. Yeah. All right. Maybe I might start opening the door up a little bit. We'll hey, this is going to be good. We'll see how we go. Yeah. Here's resolution. And then we'll do <laughs> then we'll do one each. Hey, well done to um, to Zach as well, Scotty. That's awesome, man. Number three in the world. Like Yeah, it's a pretty big deal, man. He um especially great. I think everyone sees the end result, but I think having seen him, like I said, this time last year, he oh, was man, I saw him, I came to yours when he did the tear and I remember yeah, looking man. at his purple arm and I I think yeah. I nearly vomited um, the purple. Oh. Yeah. He literally oh, week before he got married, he ripped his bicep off the bone and oh. we come back in a year and those two USA guys are ten and twenty years older and Man, they were big, big, big boys. Man, they were huge. Yeah, they they, they can't wait to make that cat. Whereas Zachary, the amount of food, oh yeah, I, I find it hard pushing in. You know, five thousand plus at the back end because we we're trying to get him as heavy as we could. On his high days, he was pushing in six thousand calories a day. Yeah, wow, amazing. how does he go changing a nappy, Scotty? <laughs> oh man. That video, if only you could show it on here, it's probably one of the funniest things you'll ever see. It is the funniest thing you'll ever see. I've showed you that, haven't I? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, changing my daughter's nappy. He literally, he left her on the change table to go into the bathroom to vomit because he was gagging. (laughs) (laughs) And she's just looking at him like, what are you you doing, Uncle Zach? Why are you left me here? Yeah, that's so funny. That's fucking funny. We might might get that video on, man, uh, for the YouTube viewers because it's freaking hilarious. Yeah, that is gold. Yeah. yeah. All right, boys. Uh, boys. Enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, we'll chat soon. Take care, guys. Good. See you, boys. See you.